This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Here comes Sacramento. Three on one. Bagley the step. Bagley with the dunk. And you can put it in the book and send it to the left. There it is. Buddy Hill alone at the top. Of the Kings record book. Oh, I like to see Fox Force 5 in the open court. Fox into the lane. Oh, if you don't like that, you don't like Kings basketball. Oh. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. My name is Brendan Nunez. Got Rich Ivanowski on here like we usually do. How you doing, Rich? I'm doing well today, and uh, we're going to be talking about the Minnesota Timberwolves, which is described by our guest as a bad interesting team or an interesting bad team but we will get into that more in depth in just a second uh it's dane moore writer and reporter for zone coverage minnesota how you doing today dane i'm awesome guys thanks for having me this is like i've started people are like asking to do podcasts and it's, it's real it's like it's here you know people are we're previewing the season like summer's over it's sad and exciting and real and we're back yeah, it's starting to get a little bit closer, and uh, I wanted to mention this. I don't think you know this, Dane, and Rich doesn't know this, but uh, I have talked to you a couple times before, and originally when I was starting to try doing this, I was doing a general NBA show, and you were nice enough that after we finished recording talking about Minnesota, you talked to me for about an hour and kind of gave me your insight on this a little bit and saying, you know, focusing on a market where there's a little bit of a lack of coverage and that really led to this show so in a way i gotta give you a little bit of credit for this entire thing we got going on <laughs> does that mean i own 50 percent of the podcast i don't know about that one do i get do i have stock in it no i don't know you own 50 percent of brendan's 50 percent <laughs> <laughs> oh nice all right well that's awesome man congratulations it's cool you guys got this rolling and it's the best way to do it. Focus, focus in on, focus in on one team, but also like focusing in on one team doesn't mean ignoring the other 29. As weird as that kind of sounds like the Kings tied to the Timberwolves or the Timberwolves tied to the Pacers. It's, it's all one big league and it's all, you know, it's all moving in a, a good time to be in, uh, in basketball. The NBA is taking off. Right. And, uh, we got these season previews going on, you know, they're all in the same league and, we want to dive into your team a little bit, obviously, on this episode, and we like to start it out with focusing on last year. Uh, you were only actually a few wins below the Sacramento Kings. You finished at 36 and 46, but what were some of your takeaways from last season that you can move into this one? Obviously, it was very uh, entertaining, I guess, at the beginning with the whole Jimmy Butler saga. Yeah, I mean, it's it's weird to even look back on that year. It felt... It felt so much like uh, kind of three different seasons. The the kind of the the Jimmy Butler era, which you know, all jokes aside, was kind. Of, it, it was consuming. It consumed so much of 
kind of from this point of the year, like September through um, the beginning of November when Butler was traded, the the whole year started off on such a such a weird foot to like have any idea even what the identity of the team was going was or what it was going to be going forward, and that obviously stalled so much of um, you know so much of the progress of a player like Carl Anthony Towns or Andrew Wiggins or just everyone. They, they were just they were just getting by and, and losing while they were getting by. And they went four and nine um, until Butler was traded. And that was just really like kind of the low, like the low point of the year. Like, well, this year just feels sort of lost. But then Robert Covington and Dario Sarge come in and it was, they were awesome. Like they were legit, a really good team in the, the Western conference. And uh, just in like that, the first 11 games that those guys came, they're both, their top four in offensive and defensive rating over that time. And Covington just kind of made you believe that, um, that you could kind of get more out of Carl Anthony Towns' greatest weakness is his defense. And really the scheme shifted so much in the way that they were using cat and not just dropping him back um, towards the rim. They were getting out and aggressively attacking pick and rolls with him and Covington. And it was awesome. And there's these 11 games where you're like, well, we thought this year was lost, but maybe they'll make the playoffs. Like they look awesome. And, and then Covington started, he, he missed, he missed one, one game with just like a sore knee that kind of lingered until he really, that knee really blew up. And, and that was right about uh, like 30 some games into the season and they started falling off again and they, they missed him so much that they, you know, they're losing. And, and then a few games later, Tibbs is fired. And so then that chunk of the season is gone. And that felt like a season in and of itself, part two. Ryan Saunders comes in for part three and that was a whole different thing where they felt like this rebuilding team um, that, that didn't have Robert Covington. So they weren't very good. Covington ended up missing the rest of the season and um, they lost a lot of games, but cat was growing and he was being utilized in so many different ways. And Andrew Wiggins for all his, you know, shortcomings really kind of found uh, a, a new sort of gear and was kind of being used as a point guard a lot was he has a long time relationship with Ryan Saunders and you started you started seeing something from him so while they were losing a lot of games it, it sort of felt like a couple of years ago where they were actually building towards something and now boom the the offseason happens and they totally bring in a whole new revamp front office and coaching staff and everything feels so different except for the roster <laughs> Like they didn't make any real, real sort of high end, you know, changes. Obviously, I'm sure we'll talk about D'Angelo Russell. Um, there is the pursuit of Russell, but, but really, um, they're bringing back so much of the the same roster, which kind of leaves them still in that sort of rebuilding phase, which is kind of bad, like you said, Rich, but also kind of interesting because they're young and Covington's coming back, and who knows? Like, if it is like that first chunk of time you can paint a really optimistic uh, picture where they are a team competing for the playoffs. So I don't know, last year there's so much, so, so much happened. And, and now here we are with kind of a fresh slate. So I'm, I'm excited for that. Yeah. And I think, you know, we were kind of kidding around about them being too bad of a team, but you know, I don't really think of them as a bad team just because the way that things are set up in the West, sure. They're not going to be competitive really for, you know, any, any late round run, but it also feels like they're good enough to get in that mix of 
you know, potentially San Antonio, Sacramento, Dallas, even New Orleans. You know, there's just this big uh, chunk of teams there near the end of the playoffs where it feels like they're good enough to at least be in that conversation. Um, so we'll see. And, and you did, you mentioned a lot right there, and we'll have to unpack it throughout this episode. But I want to go back to the first thing you mentioned, the trade of Jimmy Butler, and just get your impression of the value uh, that the Timberwolves received for that trade. I believe it was uh, Justin Patton uh, that went out with Butler, uh, and Minnesota received Robert Covington, Dario Saric, and the 2022 second-round pick, and uh, they threw in Jared Bayless as well for matching purposes. Well, how did you feel about that trade at the time, and how do you feel about it now? I mean, it, it was weird because kind of at the time, we knew Robert Covington was on this um, pretty good long-term contract, but, but as of last year, it was like four years, $44 million, and he was a all-NBA defender, right? And you're like, okay, that's, that's an interesting, you know, a good, interesting piece on a, on a, on a nice contract, but he really had an, an inconsistent end of the season, really struggled in the playoffs, and he kind of, I don't know, at the time, honestly, it almost felt like Dario Saric was, the the gem in that deal because he at that time had two two years left on his rookie deal he'd shown at least flashes of being a a good upcoming young sort of player but as i alluded to before it didn't take long to see that the value of this trade really was robert covington and what he could provide to the defense and specifically carl anthony towns and those two guys became like buddies right away which was also like I mean, we talk about off the court, like there is a value there, particularly juxtaposed against the relationship that Cat had with Jimmy. So it, and, and then Dario really sort of struggled over the, the course of his, his time. I mean, it wasn't terrible, but there wasn't a synergy uh, in the front court between he and Cat. It was really underwhelming overall. And then you kind of, you get to this off season and you're like, well, he's just, he's extension eligible. There's only one year left. Like is Dario Sarge even that great of an asset? And um, so to get Jarrett Culver to trade him, they traded Sarge straight up for the sixth pick, but they used on Culver. That felt kind of like, you know, a good move now. So it's in a weird way, Jimmy Butler has become Robert Covington and Jarrett Culver. And um, that, that kind of paints a whole new value proposition into it. And we don't, we don't know yet with uh, Culver. We, it's it's kind of like it was back in November where we got to see, we got to see what the value of that asset is, but all in all, for how out Jimmy was, it's like to have Covington, who you know is on a on a good deal, like injury aside, and still relatively young, and a, a guy with four years left on his rookie deal, obviously because it's just about to start. Like that's some interesting that's some interesting value to to get out of it. So kind of to be determined, but you can't really give that a bad grade. I would say. Right. And before we dive into Culver and what you think he brings and how he fits on this roster a little bit, if he was the right selection there, I think getting into Gerson Rosas is important as well because it feels like he has sort of changed what the Timberwolves are willing to do and maybe a bit of the identity uh, sure. paired with Ryan Saunders, obviously. And, um, help me out here with the assistant coach that was uh starts with a v here David vanterpool vanterpool there we go um big he defensive was the main guy piece in as Portland. well yeah right um 
what do you what are the impressions that you're getting here from Gerson Rosas and how he's going to change the identity and how the Timberwolves want to play moving into next season? Well, just from like a from a reporter perspective, is I I started my career covering the team when they they hired Tom Thibodeau, and so and that was that was my only coach or president of basketball operations that I'd ever you know had real media exposure to, and it, it's it's such a different experience um going from Tibbs a 60 year old old schooled guy um who doesn't think much of the media to Gerson Rosas who's you know 40 years old and um you know just comes from Houston and just such a different background um than than Timido does that it's it's totally not just from I I say that to me because the experience has been so different but it's been so different for the fan base and I think for the players on the roster like the the vibe has changed so much uh, around around the organization. And again, I don't think it's that people are under some like false belief that the Wolves are all of a sudden going to be really good or maybe ever will be really good. But there's a belief now that they're they're implementing a process that you know could lead to a team getting the most out of Carl Anthony Towns. So. It, the, the reviews are the reviews here are pretty good on on Rosa's even though the offseason they didn't get D'Angelo Russell and like their main free agent is Jake Lehman or something like it's not a not exactly something that that jumps off the the paper but the team so needed the vibe to change because it was it was dark I mean Tibbs was during introduction was just get introductions would just get railed with booze like not alcohol, but like people booing him um, every, like every single game. And it, it was bad. It was really bad. And now, now it's a, it's a positive vibe. Yeah. You know, I really do like a lot of the smaller moves this team made in the off season. And I, uh, it's a credit to Rosas. I, I've been on the record here mentioning before all these moves were made. Uh, I mentioned that I like Layman. I like Bell. I even liked uh, Travion Graham and Shabazz Napier, Noah Vonley. Like a lot of these peripheral moves, these these like much smaller moves are great, but they may not necessarily move the needle at least for for the time being. Uh, the one big move they made, uh, as you mentioned, is definitely we're talking about trading up from pick eleven to six with Sarich. I thought that was pretty masterful because Sarich, as you said, really did struggle at least at the beginning of his time in Minnesota. And he was going into the final, he's going in now going into the final year of his current contract. Uh, so the cost controlled element is going away and, and Sarge could end up being uh, a recipient of a big payday. So to get off of him uh, and to move up for, you know, five spots in that part of the lottery is, is massive, but it comes down to, what Jared Culver is if he you know they've got to kind of hit on this pick with the way that this this roster is currently constructed and the way the money is tied up they've got to hit on this pick so you know what are your first impressions of Culver obviously we haven't seen him uh in an NBA game yet but what are your thoughts on him and and maybe contrasting to some of the other options that were available there at pick six like think obviously you draw the natural parallel to the Houston Rockets because that's where Kirsten Rosas was employed for for 16 years. And, you know, with any sort of lottery pick, we can dream about them becoming the next James Harden or some sort of star, but more reasonably, 
you hope they turn into a good starter. And so in a weird way, the comparison I've been making is you already got your stud in cat. Like you hope that Derek Culver can be Clint Capella for this team and a young guy who can develop on his own sort of pace. And he doesn't need to necessarily be developing towards some sort of massive ceiling, but a guy that can be the second or third you know, player on a good team somewhere down the line. Now it's going to be different because he's a wing, but, but really just as an asset, that's, that's the way I'm kind of, I'm kind of looking at it. And I, I like that move. Um, I don't think they necessarily like needed to shoot for the moon with, with that pick, even though they're not necessarily normally when you're, you're a team that's, you know, you're going to be somewhere in the thirties, you think you need to make this some sort of massive talent like addition, but I'm, I'm really okay with more of a linear sort of path. And that, I think that's what, that's what Culver presents to them. As you mentioned, we, we haven't really seen that much of them. Um, I, I've heard just from having talked to you know Saunders and Rosas is they're interested in using him in a lot of different ways, different positions, even, even, you know, being a guy who initiates the offense, um, maybe not as purely as a point guard, but as a secondary like lead ball handler. And and you know that it, it it's really interesting for this group because to invest in a wing when you have Robert Covington and you have Andrew Wiggins is and it's it's almost <laughs> like an indictment of the future you see from them in a way. But then at the same time, right away on draft night, um, I you know at, you asked Rosas like about it and what you know basically, well, what's going to happen at the power forward position now that Sarge is gone. And right away that night, he was, he said, Robert Covington's best offensive position is the power forward. So that's kind of the, that's kind of where we're at right now is believing it's going to be Cat and Covington in the front court, Wiggins starting, Teague starting. And then maybe it's Culver if they want to go with him right away from day one. But it, it could be, it could be Jake Lehman. That's kind of my guess. And, or, you know, it could be somebody like Josh Kogi who had some success last year too. Um, or even Noah Vonley or Jordan Bell against bigger teams, but. Um, there's a role, there's a role and an opportunity for Jared Culver to, to become their Clint Capella, I, I think. Right. And I think those lineups that you mentioned, and honestly, most lineups you can roll out do become very dependent, uh, defensively on Carl Anthony Towns protecting the rim. And that's still a question mark, but, um, touching on that, that pick a little bit more, was it, it seemed like it was made with the idea that you were going to be able to land this point guard that was a whole moving forward of potentially grabbing Garland, um, and they weren't necessarily expecting him to go to Cleveland with Sexton already there. Um, did it seem like that was the idea? And would you have played potentially with the idea of going after a Kobe White to really feel fill what feels like that hole? Yeah, well, that was kind of the that was kind of what we started hearing and expecting was that it was going to be one of if they were going to trade up it was going to be for one of garland or white and when they weren't able to move up um to four it's you know and it, it ended up being six you're like well we don't know if garland will be there so the assumption the assumption was kobe white um as you know this is all happening like 30 45 minutes before the draft right. and you know start trying to put the puzzle pieces together but then now with some hindsight on that it's they didn't, I mean, this group did not prioritize a point guard specifically. They prioritized a lead ball handler and they believe that Jared Culver can be that and also help them in ways, uh, 
mean, particularly on the defensive end that Garland and White wouldn't be able to. And I mean, as as you guys know too, it's it's really gives it's a, takes a hit to your team when you've got a when you draft a rookie point guard and you hand them the reins. Like, you know, maybe Darius Garland or Kobe White prove to be far better NBA players, but for year one, for like this year, you can argue it would have you know, push the world's win total down to have to have gone with one of those guys rather than Culver, who's going to kind of fit into some sort of utility role. I don't know. Should they be losing games and tank and whatever, like try and have a good pick again? Maybe. But uh, this kind of, again, what I was saying, it, it leads to their more linear path. Where they're just trying to, they're just trying to go along. They're trying to empower Carl Anthony Towns as much as they can. And they're trying to keep the powder dry to hit on some big trade or some big free agent like they didn't with D'Angelo Russell, but they want to, it is, it is imperative for this group that they believe it's imperative to eventually, you know, get that guy and Culver allows them to, you know, to stay lean there and the moves they made as uh, I think Rich, you're the one who listed them off all those free agents they signed, like totaled up for like 10 million total dollars in money for this year and they're all on one one year deal so it's, it's nothing it totally keeps the powder dry to you know who knows who knows what the next d'angelo russell is it's a lot of those young guys whether it be you know mccollum or booker or whatever they're they're locked up long term but we know with this nba like stuff changes quick and and that's what they're just trying to they're just trying to keep keep things as like soft as possible to be like malleable for when that guy is made available are you currently paying off student debt interested in improving your financial literacy or looking for new ways to earn income in today's ever-changing digital landscape well on the talk money with mesh lakani podcast mesh will follow paper trails chat with experts and break down complex ideas to bring clarity to the mystical financial phenomena each episode will be filled with compelling stories covering a broad range of subjects from buying bitcoin dealing with student debt and everything in between Listen to Talk Money with Mesh Lakani on Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and learn how to spend, invest, and earn for today's economy. So you mentioned there a couple of times, keeping the powder dry. Um, let's talk about some wet powder on this team because you guys got it in Gorgie Dang and Andrew Wiggins, right? Uh, yeah, but he inherited that, you know? Like, no, I, I mean, no, yeah, it's, it's bad. I'm not, I'm not, I mean... I, I'm, I'm not trying to to contradict you because obviously Rosas is that's his approach and he's doing a good job of it with what he's got. But he inherited a lot of I, I, wet powder isn't a term, but he inherited some really rough long term contracts. At least the Wiggins one. I mean, can we just talk about that for a second? Uh, I, I mean, I've never talked about it before, so let's do it. <laughs> I, I just want to get your your opinion on how how much this is going to affect the team and the ability to because like you said you there's a linear path here which is just win as many games as possible this year right but isn't that complicated by the the figures that are going towards Andrew Riggins over the next few years and and to what extent is that going to hinder the team's ability to to just do this in a straightforward manner yeah no you're i mean you're absolutely right you pull up the you pull up the cap sheet and it's it looks it looks really messy. They got counted right now. They're given forty 
to e44 million to Wiggins and Jang this year and it just goes up next year to 47 you know between the two of them and, and obviously that's not what you want to be devoting 40 percent of your cap to it's you could do a lot better with that I, I think though given the situation you just kind of you use this year you eat another year of those contracts particularly Jang's Jang will be on a expiring deal and then I think you can you can frame it in a way where next summer that becomes a lot of the salary fodder in a, in a trade when he's got one year, 17 million left and you can trying to get a, you know, some sort of $25 million player, whatever you, you can use that as, as, as a tool in, in that sort of way. But, but Wiggins is different. It's, it's four years, it's four years, $123 million left. And um, it, it, they, it just kind of is what it is. So, I, I mean, I don't know. What would you do if you were Rosas? Like, you could you could totally mortgage a, a whole bunch of picks maybe if you desperately just were trying to get off of him. But at the same time, it, 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 there is some logic in just trying to recoup as much of that value as you can and, and stop trying to ask Andrew Wiggins to be a $30 million a year player and say, can you be a $12 million a year player? And, and, and putting him in positions – to, to do that. Now, do I know that that can happen? No, but he's, he's never been asked to be that. He's never been really asked to be a $12 million player. The, the, the volume, the usage, it's, it's, it's always been in that sort of way. But if he's really, if he's really pushed into a lower usage rate and used offensively in ways that are more, will lead to more effectiveness, um, you can, you can create a better player than, than what he has been. And I, I would be absolutely shocked if you don't see a major shift in, in the way that Andrew Wiggins is used. Does that make the money go away? No, but maybe it makes it, uh, makes it something that's easier, you know, to, to move in a year, or maybe it's just like he becomes the third or fourth piece on the team, you know, years down the, the road and you're, you're, you're trying to find value elsewhere. Maybe that's Culver is value. And then Wiggins has some negative value. Like it's just the reality of the situation. This is, this is what he's making. Like, what do you, what do you do? Right. And maybe I can ask you to expand to expand a bit on how you think you would do that to lower his role. I mean, you got to cut out the long twos, obviously, you know, this off the dribble, um, taking a couple for himself and then just chucking yeah, it, but it it's up. More of a whole offensive sort of shift, right? Like, like we can say that, like okay, slap him on the wrist every time he shoots a mid-range jumper. Like, yeah, that'll do something. But really, the, the the best way to go about it is is fundamentally changing the entire way that the you know that the offense functions. And um, I I was the last time we got to interview Rosas, it was I brought up Nikola Jokic and the way they used they used him kind of operating from the nail and uh, above the break kind of there is as kind of the fulcrum of their offense. And you're going to see, you're going to see cat used in that sort of way. And if cat is so much more of the fulcrum and Andrew is rarely the fulcrum. And when he is, he's just a downhill pick and roll player like that. That's better, but you, they, they can't continue to give him and allow him to be what he was, which is just an isolation player. Who's trying to, you know, take you off one, two dribbles and pull up in your face. Cause we know that that, that isn't an effective style for him. But I think with more impetus on using cat in, in the best possible ways and cutters around him, 
And Andrew have, being one of those cutters, you, you can make him a more effective player. Yeah, that's certainly the hope. I, I'm sure he can improve. There's I, like It'd be hard to imagine a world where he can't improve or be given a, a system where you know he can flourish, or, or if not flourish, but he can at least do less, bring less <laughs> negatives to the table, I guess you could say. I'm just trying to be a little bit nice here, but I mean, like you said, it, it, no, it kind mean, of is what I, it is. I've what it is. written a million things. I've written a million things about the contract, a million things about the 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 shot profile and all that and it's bad it is objectively bad it, it's hurt the team it cost them wins and if they do it again it will cost them wins and if it doesn't change this will be an anvil on their books for four years i'm just of the mind that you with a new coaching staff a new front office a new whole sort of way of playing the game you know you can you can start to change some of that even if you can't fix it Right. I, I think that's a reasonable way to look at it, to be sure. Um, so would you prefer to at least try for a season, uh, a season or two with Wiggins? Or would you, if it's really not looking great, would you try to move him to a situation where, you know, there aren't many teams that would be listening on a Wiggins trade, but perhaps a team like Oklahoma City where they, you know, are, are obviously accruing future picks and they're, they're looking towards the future. Maybe they would take on a guy like Wiggins, who's a lot younger for Paul. Uh, Chris Paul has got two years left at about 80 million total. You know, maybe they'd consider that without the Wolves having to give up significant draft capital. Or, or is any of that on your mind or are you just kind of not thinking about that right now? Well, let me, let me ask you this. If you had been hired as, the GM or president of basketball operations. I mean, I'm asking seriously, how would have you, how would have you handled Andrew Wiggins this summer? Like what would have been your like plan A, plan B, plan C briefly? I mean, it's a great question. And it's one of like the, probably the toughest situations to be put in, but you know, and I, I can say this as someone who isn't in that situation and doesn't have a job to worry about and doesn't have like, you know, my livelihood to worry about, but I would also, I mean, w- Part of me wants to think about, hey, maybe we turn ourselves into an Oklahoma City situation here. And we see, listen, Carl Anthony Towns, this is a guy who, even though he's on the max deal, he is worth a ton. Maybe you go the opposite Mm -hmm. direction. I mean, I know it sounds crazy uh, because from certainly from the perspective in Minnesota, that would be heart crushing. But I mean... Is that completely insane to think, let's go the opposite direction, let's embrace the chaos and build for even further down the line? I, I think there's a, I think that's too far. I, I think there's a middle ground, though, where, where you could. I, I, I wouldn't argue with that, of, of something where they really would have ripped it up more and just kept cat. Like, may that be the, you know, be the one thing that they're, they're really latching on to, and, and then maybe it's you, you're finding a way to dump Andrew Wiggins or dump Jeff Teague or dump Gordy Jang. Like they, they could have done that. I, I would, I would totally listen to that argument, but you just got away the opportunity cost of, I mean, we saw what it cost to even get off. I mean, Jeff Teague and Andre Godala make about the same amount of money, right? Like to get, to move that 18, $19 million, they would have had to pay to first just for that. You know, Gordy Jang is two years of that. You know, you'd be, you'd be doing that again. I mean, the ripping it down would have caught, they would have had to give up so many assets to even begin ripping it down. You know what I'm saying? And just getting, getting off those guys. And that's even before 
you get to Wiggins where you're like, well, what do we, you know, what do we do with, what do we do with him? Because this is that now that's four years for even more money. Um, it, it's yeah. Like I, I think like it, this, what's going to happen is, is what Gerson is going to say every time, whether it's Bradley Beal becomes made available or like whoever, like, and, and there, he's going to be asked about, and if the Wolves names are reportedly in there, he's going to say, we're, we, we are, we are always going to be in the mix for a high end player like that. And I believe they actually will be, and they will consider, they will consider putting Andrew Wiggins into that and how much additional draft capital or Robert Covington, who's a, who's an asset. They'll, they'll put that in there, but I think, cat will be something that they you know they they keep out of that i also don't think they'll go down the bringing in someone as old as um as chris paul path like even russell westbrook they weren't going to get in that mix just because the, the timelines there don't make like don't mesh and it would it kind of would have been like jimmy butler all over again right like from uh from what like the age of westbrook versus cat and how that doesn't necessarily line up so they're what I believe is they're going to be targeting lead ball handlers who are under 30 years old. And whenever those become made available, Andrew Wiggins will be absolutely considered to be moved as will moving Gorgie Jang. If you need to create more space, you need to send out more money and Jeff Teague and the necessarily draft capital that draft capital or other assets like Culver, like Covington, like a Kogi, whoever like that, that, that will all be, I, I believe that will all very much be considered. For sure. And let me just say that, you know, I, I'm playing devil's advocate here because I think that it can create some interesting conversations. But from my own, yep. you know, for, from my own personal standpoint, I think that we as an analyst community, especially, um, you know, bloggers like myself and Brendan and guys on Twitter, you know, all that stuff. Like, I think that we as a group tend to overrate either needing to be uh you know, a, a championship competitive level team or tear it all down completely and restart. Yeah. I think that there is a lot of value in having, you know, two or three home games, home playoff games. And I think that there's actually a lot of value in being the seventh or eighth seed. Uh, and so, you know, gun to my head, I'd probably proceed much in the way that the Timberwolves are, are going right now. But, um, you know, you mentioned the, the ball handler stuff, a, a young ball handler being a target. Um, so we might as well move on to uh, the D'Lo stuff. The, you know, the rumors circulating about uh, D'Angelo Russell being a target. Um, you know, how realistic do you think that that scenario is now? Now or was? It seems pretty clear that it really was something they were pursuing. And it sounds like you confirmed that earlier. But now that he's with the Golden State, I mean, I guess it just becomes a question of does he become available? But if if they were to hear, if the Wolves were to hear that he is available for the right price, do you think they're going all in, or do you think how what level of interest do they have? I, I think I think yeah, it would be considered. I'm just it, it's it, it's a weird thing in Minnesota, just you know, kind of judging the pulse of the fan base of you know people who you know, message you or all the, I mean, the people just asking me about, Oh, you know, DeAndre Russell can be traded on December 15th. Like are the wolves going to be immediately in that mix? And I, I think the answer there is no, I would assume that at least plays out for a year. And then I don't think Russell is like any more or less likely than another young ball handler who becomes made available 
like, I, I just think the reason they pushed on him so far is it was a super unique situation in Brooklyn, right? Like, it was this guy who was a restricted free agent that his incumbent team had no interest in, you know, hanging on to because they had Kyrie and because they had the KD thing. So there's just this floating asset of a guy who, yeah, you're going to need to pay a max contract to, but he's 23 and, you know, feasibly would mesh with the need that Carl Anthony Towns might have. And so, so if he's made available again, like, yeah, I think they'll, I think they will pursue it, but not any more than, they, they wouldn't go so much more all in on that than they would a, a, a Bradley Beal is one I keep bringing up or, or even, you know, like you know, maybe it's something like, like a, a guy who's kind of towards the end of their rookie scale contract, like a Alonzo ball or a Brandon Ingram or, you know, something like that. One of the Karis Levert, honestly, before he signed the extension, I thought that was one that he was on the last year of his rookie deal or be a restricted free agent the next summer. Like, I could have seen that being somebody that they would really move the chips in, but they're going to, they're going to weigh the, you know, the, the collective bargaining agreement or where you're at with the salaries and where a player is at in their, in their contract is almost more important or makes them more or less likely to be acquired than who they are necessarily as a player. Like you go after the guys that are available more than you do the guys who are less available and, so it, it's going to depend on whatever the heck plays out with Russell in Golden State. But I would be surprised if there's any real motion on that over the next 12 months. Right. So I think we should focus a little bit on what this roster does have going for them. And one of the exciting young pieces that uh, really had an extraordinary rookie year most people didn't expect was Josh Akogi. Um, great defender. He's one of the players that really interests me here. Um, and you see the defensive potential like we touched on a little bit, but where do you feel like he needs to develop the offensive game? Is it just simply that three-point shot, just turn into a 3 and D guy? And if that's the case, how confident in you, are you in that becoming the case? I'm not confident in his jump shot ever becoming um, a weapon for him. I just don't think it's his skill set. I think he has, um, as you said, and I'm, I'll, I'll disclaim it with he's Yes, he's a he's a terrific defender. The energy is is extremely you know important. And and he was he was a valuable player for the team last year. You, like go down through the numbers and how he played in lineups with Cat and with some of the best players. Like I think he can. I think he can be really helpful for this team, even if he doesn't become a three and D player. And I think we, we can, we can focus in too much on, on that element of it and, it and miss out on a guy who can still be pretty good without the jump shot. I just, I, I, I think, I think we're fooling ourselves if we think he's going to be able to become Danny green, the, the, the jumper just at least in his rookie season. And, and, you know, as I've watched him take even practice his shooter on whatever, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of shots it's, it's not a strength you know it's like whatever it, it's it, it's like a big guy who who likes to shoot being like well is he going to be able to develop a low post game like maybe because he's going to be in the paint sometimes but he's that's not what he's good at so for for josh like yeah he's going to need to can he make push that to like a passable level we like to think about that in you know percentages of 32 33 34 percent like yeah that'd be That'd be great. Um, but I think you got to look to find other ways to weaponize him offensively rather than just spotting up in the corner. Use him more as a cutter. Use him more um, 
in, you know, in off ball sort of ways, and then just hope he can be a guy that defenses need to somewhat respect, where they can't just completely leave him because that's what he was last year. He was a guy and he got a, he got a bunch of, he took a bunch of threes because he was open and, and teams, teams didn't respect that jump shot. And I just don't think that'll necessarily change this year because it's, I mean, scouting reports out there. That is his, that is his greatest weakness is an inability to knock down the, the three at a high level. So if I'm coaching the team, I'm trying to find other ways. I'm trying to find other ways to, to make him a weapon and not just rather than just banking on like he's make or break on if he figures out his jump shot. Cause then I think there's a high likelihood that he's break. Right. And I think that, uh, comes back to your point of Cat sort of playing a Jokic role where if uh, if a Kogi is able to cut off ball, same way you mentioned Wiggins, do you think that this team and could... Layman. And Layman. And Layman, right? Right. Do you think that this team could also benefit from really getting the pace up and trying to get some buckets in transition using, you know, the athleticism and quickness of some of those guys like a Kogi and Wiggins? But I guess the way that starts also is you have to get stops on the defensive end. So do you think the team can trot out a lineup that is going to be capable of doing that? Yeah, it's. I'm skeptical about the defense just because they're going to be, I mean, it, it was a, it was a poor defense last year. Covington being back is obviously going to be really helpful, but I don't, I mean, if he's going to be playing the four, it, it's, it's going to get tricky. They're going to be real thin because if you want to use Covington as the four, but you still want to put him like as your point of attack defender, like if you want to put him on Ben Simmons, then who's now who's slid over to guarding Al Horford. Now, do you have to start Noah Vonley? Does that mix it all up? Like it's, Right. The defense, I mean, I would assume the defense remains somewhat of a problem unless they can really make teams play at their place and play like play to them. And I think they're going to try and force that by, yes, being a team that pushes into the, the half court fast. But I don't think they'll be like, I don't think they'll be out of control, like getting the shot up quickly. Like they will look for the transition and then they will back out into being a team who is going to run a lot of pick and roll. And if not that, then cat at the fulcrum. Like they'll be fast into the half court, but I think they'll really slow down. It'd be, it'd be a lot like what you saw in Brooklyn last year. And a, a lot of the, the coaching staff they brought in, um, Pablo Prigioni was there last year and is now kind of the offensive coordinator with the Wolves. I think you'll see a lot of, I think you'll see a lot of them slowing down once they are um, into the half court. And it's just going to be about, it's going to be about forcing, it's going to be about forcing the opponent to, to play, you know, play to their, you know, their pace and, and their style. But if they, they are playing. They play Philadelphia the fourth game of the year. I'm like, I don't even know what you do there. You're you're so much smaller than them. Um, it's gonna be, it it it's gonna be tricky. So well, I, that's something we kind of got to see in action is how are they defending with this kind of leaner, smaller group. But I'm I'm just because I haven't seen it, I'm kind of skeptical right now. The Kings Pulse podcast is recorded and hosted on Anchor. It is the easiest way to make a podcast, and it is 100% free. It gives you everything you need to record, edit all of it so it sounds smooth and professional, and upload it all from your phone and or your computer. They distribute your podcast to every major platform. They give you an opportunity to make some money in the process as well. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey guys, just want to give you a quick reminder that if you like what you're listening to, we'd really appreciate a quick 
rating and review of the podcast on iTunes or wherever you're getting this podcast. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, we'd love to interact with you. We can take your questions, answer them on the podcast as well. That is at Kings underscore Pulse. We also got an Instagram, Kings underscore Pulse. And we are the official podcast of uh, Reddit r slash Kings. We got a sticky thread on there if you want to ask questions. So we really appreciate it. And, and thank you very much for listening. So one thing we'd like to do with each of our guests is ask them to identify uh, guys on the roster that can take a big step forward or that they expect to take a big step forward. And I want to tweak it a little bit. Um, you know, we can talk about a Koji and we can talk about, you know, even a guy like Cat taking a step forward. He's still certainly young enough to do so and talented enough to do so. But I want to tweak the question a little bit to focus on those smaller signings and maybe just ask you of those uh of those, you know, sort of cheaper bargain deals, which of these guys between Lehman, Vonley, Graham, Napier, and Bell, which of those guys do you think is going to be the most impactful next season? You know, I, you, you wouldn't think of it, but I think that Shabazz Napier is going to have a really big role um, because there's just like no other point guards really on the roster. And I, they've talked a lot about, like I said before, using Culver kind of in a lead ball handler role. I think you'll see Wiggins running, a good amount of pick and roll. Um, but, but like Napier's in a role where he's going to probably get 18 to 20 minutes a game, um, just as backup point guard. And then, you know, kind of historically, if, if you follow, follow Napier, he played, he played next to D'Angelo Russell a bunch last year in Brooklyn as kind of like a two guard. And then even before that, he would play alongside both of Lillard and McCollum, like at the same time. Like he's a guy who can play off ball. So he's kind of the one who, of this group, I think he might have a sneaky bigger role than, than people are expecting. Um, but that's just for this year. Like Jake Lehman is the one who has, who signed a three-year contract, you know, making him obviously the player they invested the most in just in, in, in years, because everyone else, everyone else they brought in, in, in Napier and Graham and Jordan Bell and Ovanley are all on one-year deals. Um, so they might have some impact this year, but odds are, few of those guys are back next year just because they're they're free agents so i would say in the immediate napier low-key will be um impactful and then layman will probably be around for a while it'll be interesting to see if he's kind of like in portland able to be both that starter or um fall into a a bench sort of role i think that they a year or two from now if they are able to begin improving layman moves into like a seventh or eighth man sort of guy falls a little bit down the ladder um, but he'd be he'd probably be the most impactful over the quote-unquote long haul. Right, that makes sense. I read a piece of you mentioning you think that Lehman will be in the starting lineup, and we'll get into that a little bit. But um, to one of the other guys that ended up starting some games, only three actually at the end of last year, but got a little bit more run with when it was clear the way the season was going was uh, Bates Diop. And I'm curious what you think the progression will be for him and if he'll still have a role going into next season. And is there sort of a competition between him and Jordan Bell in a way, or are those varying positions in your mind? Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's weird. It's going to be about how, you know, how big do they want to go, you know, against, against you playing Detroit or something, right? Like you probably got to play Bell and Bonley a lot because they got Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond, or even like Memphis, you got, Valentinus and uh, Jaron Jackson, like you kind of got to be 
figures. So I think they'll, they'll have these lineups where I think Von Leo actually end up starting a handful of games, more than a handful of games against those bigger opponents. But in games that they can go lean, like they, they open the season against Brooklyn, who we know is a, a smaller team outside of, you know, Allen or Jordan at the five, they'll go as lean as they can. I don't think Kate is going to be in the rotation uh, to, to start the year, just because, I mean, if you, you go down the list, it's like, I, I don't, there, there's just a lot of kind of guys who fall on that middling sort of pack. He would, if I was doing one of those silly, like, rotation estimations with like minutes per game of everybody i'd have kata at zero um but he's he was uh he was a good he was a good college player they got a 48th overall to be able to have found a guy who looks like an nba player he looked really strong in in summer league like he he he's huge people don't really get like a long really long wingspan um but the, it's cliche but like he's crafty i i like him as a prospect i think he'll be a guy who sticks in the league i just I, I don't know if he'll he'll really be in favor with the with at the beginning of the season in part just because he's not a Rosas guy. Um, you know, Thibodeau drafted him. That was you know from a, a that's part of the reason too why I'm skeptical of what Kogi's role might be. Like Rosas and Saunders, more so Rosas, like handpicked these Travion Grahams and Shabazz Napiers and Jordan Bells. Like I think I think this the the safer bet is to assume that those guys are going to be given, you know, a shot, you know, before, before some of the incumbent guys in that middling sort of group. So we also like to identify guys that are likely to take a step back and, you know, actually not a ton of candidates on this roster that jump out to me personally with the possible exception of, of Jeff Teague. But uh, is there anyone that you can look at this roster and say with any degree of certainty uh, or if we if we push you to try to pick someone, who would you say is going to have a worse season this upcoming year than they did last year? Um, well, it's, it's it's hard to take a step back for Jeff Teague or Gorgie Jang when it was pretty decidedly the worst you know season of their career. Um, Jang was just not really part of the rotation. Um, I I don't and and when he was he he was he was so frustrated with Thibodeau and. It was just kind of I I can't see him really falling back, losing the little value he he does have right now, and and Teague was just unhealthy all year. Like it, it's hard to see that being worse. Um, I guess of the incumbent guys, I, I honestly would say a Kogi, who I like. I mean, I feel like I'm ripping on him on this. Like he's a great kid and he's super fun to watch. But he was given a a, a big role. I think he in the second half of the year. I think he led the team in minutes. Um, just because Cat missed some games, or he was up there for sure. But he's not going to have, he's not going to be given the same role because there's a bunch of guys like him on this, on this team now. Even someone like Trevion Graham, who you know you can kind of like gloss over, you you can make arguments for Graham to be a more useful piece than the Kogi. And he's and entering the season, you would assume Graham isn't even the rotation to start. So I think he would be the one that, if, if I'm looking at it, like. And and assuming that Covington's knee, everything's all right with his knee, and the, the all reports that he's going to be, he's going to be back and ready for. He's already in the gym uh, working out and everything. But so many of the guys who took such a step back last year that it's it's hard to predict. Uh, just kind of by default, I got to pick the guy who had the best season last year and or was given the biggest the biggest role last year. 
Yeah, understandably. And then I'm always curious to get uh, storylines, things that people that follow the team closely are really looking for. And you touched on it a little bit with Wiggins, you know, uh, getting him a redefined role and Covington moving to the starting lineup, changing the size and maybe speed that you play at. What are you looking for from Towns? I know you mentioned that you like the idea of him playing in a bit more of a Jokic and playmaker for others role, but what are you expecting to see from him moving into next year progression-wise? Well, I, I think that people might not think of this right away, but with Towns, it's going to be really interesting to see how he's used defensively. Because with Thibodeau, um, coming from Boston and Chicago, it was such a staple of his defenses to to run a drop scheme you know, defense, defense where you're, you're just asking your five to kind of retreat towards the rim and you know, kind of let the ball handler come to you and defend the rim traditionally. He, Cats, I mean, it, outside of what I mentioned before, a really brief sort of stint when Covington was fully healthy, we really haven't seen a lot of that. And that's what, I mean, for, for Towns, the offense is great. I mean, I don't, we, I should just say, that. I mean, he's, uh, he's elite. He's, he's, he's so elite. I think people don't even, don't even realize what a dominant offensive player he is. But if you want to talk about him becoming a guy, who's able to make like a Giannis type jump. It's that some sort of defensive scheme unleashes him to not just be a passable defender, but to be a good defender. And I'm really curious to see if they are going to use him more aggressively in ball screen coverages and, and asking him to get out and switch, asking him to go attack pick and rolls in that sort of way, because you never saw that with Thibodeau, or very rarely saw that with Thibodeau. He was asked to retreat and he really struggled in reading in those situations. That's proved to not be a strength of his. So, if it's different, that, that's going to be big. The one thing I, I, that I'm really putting a pin in to, to watch and follow is that the Dave Vanterpool guy, the, their, their new defensive coordinator, like associate head coach that they brought in from Portland, comes from Portland where they ran drop scheme all the time with Yusuf Nurkic and asked him to do exactly what Cat has been doing all along. Now, was, were they just doing that because Nurkic is a huge guy who can't really get out there and scamper? Maybe, but that that is that has been Vanterpool's way, just as it was Thibodeau's way. So, I, I'm fat. I mean, that for me, like that preseason game number one, I'm gonna be like spotlighting Cat and being like, how are you using him defensively? Because you want to talk about this team getting really good someday, three four years down the road. It's all about Cat becoming not only a passable defender, but like a really good defender that helps. You know, is a, as a key cog in a top 10 defense someday and they've been so they've been 25th or worse in defensive rating every year of his career and they've been worse they've been worse defensively with him on the floor than with him on it or it's been worse when he's been on the floor than when he's been off so that that's i mean that is the biggest thing for this year and you know for the future for me at least so we want to get to some predictions on wins and losses but uh can you Help us, before we do that, to just help us understand uh, the basic rotation as far as, you know, we don't need to get, need to get too deep into the 8th, ninth, 10th guy, but uh, just give us what you think the starting five will be on opening night and then uh, the first couple of guys off the bench. So I, I, and I literally just wrote something on this because the, there's a big question mark for who the, the fifth starter is. Like I said, the assumption of or what they've been telling us is, you know, Cat at the five, Covington at the four, Wiggins on the wing, Teague at point guard, which leaves, which leaves a hole, um, for, for that fifth starter. 
it, my, my assumption is that that's Jake Lehman to start the year. And kind of the comparison that I've made is um, with Colin Sexton in Cleveland last year. He, he came off the bench for like the, the first 10 games of the year. They started George Hill. And then, and then eventually, you know, Sexton came in once they kind of knew they were going to be bad. I could see something happening like that where Lehman starts and then Culver eventually moves into that role. But I, it, it really is going to be with them. It's going to be opponent dependent, I think, in a way, because if it is a really big team that they're playing, it's going to be hard to go with Cat, Covington, and Lehman or Culver as your three biggest guys. Or even or throw Wiggins in there, too. A, a huge part of why Cat has struggled is he hasn't been able to defend fives in the league. He gets in foul trouble every time. They, they wouldn't even let him guard Jokic or... or or Drummond or Gasol, guys like that. They would have Tosh Gibson guard him all the time. So now, just by default, if you're starting Covington as your four, like Cat has to guard every one of those fives, and that that's going to be that's going to be a real test for him. And and if he can't handle it without getting into foul trouble, they're going to have to start Noah Vonleh and 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 use him kind of, and then slide Covington back down to the three and go Vonleh and Cat up front. So. It's even hard to kind of start the rotation conversation because I think it's going to be, it really begins with who they decide to start um, in the, in that fifth slot, and then you, you kind of go from there. They're also they're also going to be a team. And Ryan Saunders, he did this when when he took over last year. There's a lot of guess and check. Like we we could drop a nine man rotation, and I think it'll be a nine man rotation every night. But I think the the seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth guys will kind of be be shuffling in you know in and out of it, and and that will kind of evolve as the as the season goes along. And I think specifically uh, will evolve depending on how much they want to commit to Jared Culver. Yeah, uh, makes sense to me. And like Rich mentioned, what do you guys the- think? What do you think? Who do you think will be the? Who do you think will start? I have trouble coming around with Wiggins guarding twos there like you're mentioning a little bit um he's big though he's big he he is i mean he has the length for it but and i guess i mean a lack of ether effort is the reason that he gets blown by rather than the potential there yeah um so i would maybe like to see a kogi there and then letting culver Mm -hmm. still run the second unit but I, I did read that piece you were talking about on your deciding the fifth starter, and you got me to come around to layman a little bit there. But I would probably go with a Kogi. You said you'd probably go with a Kogi. Sorry, you kind of broke up there at the end. Right. That that would that was my initial um, idea there, is getting a little bit yeah. more defense out there. And there is, I guess, a little bit less spacing, but uh, I like him guarding the twos and sometimes guarding the ones and hiding Teague on twos. Yeah, I mean, uh, John Krasinski, who covers the the Timberwolves for the for the Athletic, he you know similarly did sort of a rotation type of piece, and he had, he had a Kogi as the starter there too. And it, it's kind of a it's kind of a personal opinion sort of thing. I'm judging my layman why I think it's going to be layman, not because I'm saying that's what I would do, but just from having talked to or been there every time that they've talked about this new team, whether it be Rosas or Saunders. And the way that they've referred to Lehman helping this team go and the way they've talked about Covington being the four, I just think you start 
the difference between Lehman and a Kogi, we're talking about like talking about like five inches of height. Like a right. Kogi six three, Lehman six eight without shoes. It's I think a Kogi's a a better defender. He's a really good defender, but if you're already super small, can you afford to go small even smaller with a Kogi? Like I don't know, it's the modern NBA, but it just it starts becoming a really small team fast and I haven't heard them say I haven't heard them like really allude to, to Josh in in that sort of way. Who knows? Maybe they're sandbagging and like trying to play coy here, but um I don't know. It it, it really could be. It's gonna it's gonna be something we like kinda learn even just preseason game one. And then the, there's just such a ripple effect of it all. Cause if you do go with the Kogi, it, it changes what Von Lay and Bell's role would be just from minutes and, and same with Layman and Culver. It's, it's, there's a real interesting ripple effect to all of them. Like you could go through with each of the potential starters and how that would just almost completely change how you would, you know, reasonably put the rotation together. Yeah, it's definitely super tough with this team. And I will, you know, definitely say that your guess is definitively more educated and better than mine. Um, so I don't have too much to say on it other than, you know, uh, just to, to reemphasize the points that we've made about the T-Wolves and how they're not really in a clear-cut position where, hey, we know we won't make the playoffs so we can just start Culver day one if we want to. Or, you know, we really feel like we will make the playoffs so we need to make sure we start a vet that just best fits the system and best best puts, you know, Cat in the position he needs to be Cat. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, your guess is just definitively better than mine. So let's just move on to, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, really, I, it's not, I'm not trying to even downplay my own opinion. I just, it's such a mystery here. Um, well, it, the thing you said, though, is wise. It, it's it's going to be about what brings the most out of Cat. Like, whatever the answer to that question is, is what they what they will do. Um, and I don't know. I don't know exactly what that is. It could be a Kogi. It could be Lehman. Um, it could be Vonley because you need more size. Uh, but it, the answer that they will determine will have, it will be more, it will be more about Cat than it will be about Culver's youth or a playoff push or anything like that. It will be Cat, it's like just A, B, and C is Cat, Cat, Cat. Yeah, fair enough. And I'll also just say I've I've talked him up before, but I think that Jordan Bell could be really impactful in the right situation, especially where you could have Cat, um, you know, really emphasizing his spacing and his shooting, and Bell is the role man, but he could kind of play the four more on defense if they want Cat to be the anchor. And, you know, there, there's all types of ways, but. I'm not certainly putting my money on Bell being a starter for this team. I just think that there's an interesting lineup in there somewhere. Uh, but moving on to uh, just the the straight-up win-loss projection here, Vegas has the Wolves at 35.5 wins. Does that feel about right to you, or is it high or low? Yeah, I would say it's I would say it's about right. And, and you were talking about it before, as you can kind of – you can kind of look at it and be like, are they in that Mavericks Kings Pelicans? Like the optim, the optimistic one is, are they in that Mavericks Kings Pelicans bin, which is Mavs forty one, Kings thirty eight and a half, Pelicans thirty eight and a half. Are are they in the mix there for the you know eighth seed with those with those teams, or do they kind of fall into the Thunder, Suns, Grizzlies part of it? And I think the way Vegas kind of has it split is they're kind of in a tier of their own. 
Um, I think if we played out the season a thousand times, that's, that's probably more where, where they would fall is, is between those two kind of non-playoff groups. And so, so yeah, I'm there. I don't, I don't feel like super strongly. Um, I, I think I would take the, I mean, they won 36 games last year and that year was an absolute mess. I know the West has, uh, has changed. I, I, I think, I think you could, I think you can get this team to, to high thirties. I, I think that's, that's reasonable. Obviously they, they can do even better than that. But if I had to pick a group that they were in, I will put them in the Mavs Kings Pelicans group before I'll put them in the Thunder Suns Grizzlies group. Right. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And I guess they would probably be at the bottom of that group that you're mentioning. Um, it, at least, I mean, if you're in the group, it, it kind of, you have a chance of being on either side of it, but more likely I would probably pl- place them towards the bottom side there. Do you think that there is a chance that you do sneak into the eight seed though? Um, so it, it goes, the, the, the Blazers are the eighth team, right? When we're just looking at these wins and then the Mavs are like nine, right? I'm counting that out, right? You know, I don't have all of them in front of me right now. I have it. Is have Portland, it. Is really good. uh, are the Spurs in that mix? The Spurs. Okay. So it goes, it goes Clippers one, Jazz two, Rockets three, Nuggets four, Lakers five, Warriors six, Spurs seven, Blazers eight. That's according to Vegas. That's fair. Um, and then, and then nine, nine, ten, eleven is Mavs, Kings, Pelicans. So, like, do they have a chance? Like, sure. Who knows? I mean, last year, what have we guessed? Like, honestly, going into the year, like the Pelicans were like a for sure playoff team because they had Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday, and then everything goes like wacko. Like that, things could happen where the seventh or an eighth seed spot you know the spurs or blazers fall off or something weird happens and those become available but i think it's just about trying to be as good be a five trying shooting to be a 500 team like the mass kings and pels and then if you get hot and and somebody from that top eight group falls off and you can sneak in it's just it's gotta be it's gotta be like 10 percent max that they that they get the playoffs they're just given Given how good, given how good the West is, I mean, really, if, so if the if the Blazers are forty six and a half and the Wolves are thirty five and a half, I mean, that's eleven game gap. That's that's a that's a, would be a massive, massive jump to make. I mean, they'd be one of the most surprising teams in the league, and I just don't think they've put together like a group that can. They're like a group that could kind of exceed your expectations. Could they exceed your expectation by twelve games? I don't. I don't think so. So we've got your predictions in the books here for next season, but our final question, we just want to go a little bit more long-term. And this might be a team that's a little bit, you know, it's really hard to predict three to five years out, but there's a framework here at least you can base this around, and you probably got to account in the final, uh, (laughs) the, the way that Wiggins is eventually used on this team or if he's sent elsewhere. But, you know, there's guys on this, on this team with, Four-year deal, five-year deal for Towns, a couple of three-year deals with Covington and, and the much cheaper layman. But, you know, looking out three to five years or or maybe whatever time frame you feel like they'll be uh, relevant in the playoffs, you know, how is this team looking in the long term? Well, I think it, it ties back to the front office. And I, I 
kind of went into it a little bit before, but they, they are going to, and I think eventually one of these years, they're going to, they're going to keep throwing darts at trying to land the D'Angelo Russell. And what's important to, I think, acknowledge with this front office is one, that that's a goal. And two, that they have Sasha Gupta, who is Sam Hinkie's like cap guy, right-hand man in Philadelphia. And they're going to do a whole bunch of weird crap to manipulate the salary cap in every which way to, to if something is made available to be able to, again, to, to, to make a move and to, you know, to pull off something in a weird cap way that other more traditional teams can't. So, so yeah, you got, you got a couple of young pieces and you didn't even mention uh, a Kogi and Culver in those longer term deals too. Like those, those guys are locked up. So cat cat at five years and only 25% of the cap. Like, yeah, it's a max cats making like so much less money than Damian Lillard or, you know, or uh, Russell Westbrook, just because all maxes aren't created equal. Like that is a, that is a valuable contract that helps, you know, subsidize some of the negativity of Wiggins's deal. And then, and then Covington, it's really hard to argue with, you know, three years, $34 million or whatever, $35 million like that. You got a, you got a good year deal there. And, and I think Rich, you said before, it's like, if you're a culvert could be something that seems like a guy they can't miss on. If they don't miss, like, yeah, you are, you're putting together the pieces of it. Like a, it's a, it's a capture right now that has so little value to it, but you go for two or three years, not only are there interesting pieces, but there could be like valuable pieces from a trade standpoint and from a cap flexibility standpoint. And I, what I feel confident in this front office is that they'll find a way to make the most out of whatever flexibility they have and the players that are made become available, even though the, that latter part is kind of out of their control. Yeah, you know, I think that there's something to be said for this team, and I, I've mentioned it on Twitter before. Um, I rarely ever tweet about the teams that are sort of below the Kings in projected standings, but I do worry about the Timberwolves coming up behind the Kings if, if Sacramento's not able to make the playoffs this year. I think they're a team that could really compete with them for a spot in future years, and it's not... Uh, you know, it's not because I'm terrified of Culver necessarily or a Koji or, you know, I'm certainly not worried about Wiggins, but this, <laughs> what, what, it's kind of like a monster movie. Like, I think it's like a rising tide thing because when a team nails the smaller moves, um, I just think of it as like, uh, like footsteps and like, there's a, like a King Kong's coming and I, you're just hearing like the rumblings in the distance where like you get. You, you grab uh, you, you grab Layman on that deal. You grab Vonley. You grab Bell, and like all the marginal moves are coming into place. Everything on the margin looks great. The trade up to six looks great. They just if they continue to nail if they nail their picks and they continue to nail these smaller moves, then I think the potential for something big to happen, like a D'Angelo Russell trade or Alonzo Ball trade or whatever, you know whatever that may be, I think that that potential is there and they could emerge as a real competitor in the next few years right and i think just to like compare them to the kings too it's and just with the off season that the kings did have where you know you you you've, i'm not saying joseph or reza or deadman are necessarily like bad signings or anything but if the kings are going to be something special it's not going to be for a handful of years and those guys probably aren't going to be a part of that you know, and then you're starting, you're relying on Bagley and Bogdanovich and Fox to be, and, and healed if they, when they bring him back, like 
it, it's what we were talking about before the podcast is we we're like, well, it seems like they're going to be able to have some studs come out of that, but we don't know. Like Jared Fox, like, yeah, he'll probably be an all NBA player someday, but to compare it to the Wolves, like Cat already is, you know, and, and maybe, you know, maybe Bagley is, maybe they have more shots at it, but there's the, you know, there's the inherent risk that, that none of those guys necessarily become superstars, superstars on the, on the Kings. And it's good that you have a lot of good players, but I mean, what do we know? It, it is about that top end, top end talent that really ends up being the needle mover. So it, it's a, it's an interesting comparison to like, to look at, I would, to look at the, um, you know, kind of how the Kings and Mavs are constructed versus the Pelicans and the Wolves, just to kind of focus on that bubble where to your point, like, it does feel like the Pelicans and the Wolves could jump those teams, the jump the Kings and maybe the Mavs too, if because they have, maybe they don't have the best books, but they have the best player. And uh, to be determined kind of with Fox, who's obviously special in his own right, but it's, uh, it's just interesting to think about team construction in that sort of way. And the, the opportunity cost of investing in a Corey Joseph and a Trevor Ariza as to how that impacts, you know, two, three years down the road. Right. And I think like you mentioned, uh, Sacramento, we're all hoping and thinking that Fox is that guy down the line. Uh, Dallas is feeling the same way with Doncic, I'm sure. And you're able to spend that money now because you're not paying those young guys quite yet. So you have a little bit of time uh, to put that elsewhere and maybe overpay a bit in order to bring these guys in um, and fill out the roster well. But that's all that we had for you, Dane. Um, we want to give you an opportunity here to plug any of the work that you have going on. Yeah, man. If you're looking for uh, Timberwolves podcast, Timberwolves content, um, I'm at Dane Moore MBA on Twitter, and my podcast is the Dane Moore MBA podcast. Where, like you guys, largely focused on the the team that we cover, but also you know tapping into to the rest of the league. So. You want, and this was a pretty in-depth podcast on, on the Timberwolves offseason and, and where they're going, but I'll have uh, a lot more of that on, on my show uh, kind of throughout the fall and, and into the season. So, so, yeah, check that out. My work is at uh, Zone Coverage Minnesota. Perfect. Yeah, well, thank you, Dane, again for coming on, and thank you to everybody for listening to this episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. You will hear from us again in the next couple days.